0: You may be aware, but no one actually knows the dates on which Jesus was born, did you know that? I mean, we're not entirely certain of the year, in fact, except that it's year zero because tradition tells us. The the date, the 25th of December, Well, it wasn't until about 350 years after the birth of Jesus that Pope Julius decrees that Jesus' birthday is going to be celebrated on the 25th of December. Did you know that? There you go, trivial pursuit answers coming out, ya. Christians have been celebrating it on the 25th of December ever since. But Pope Julius didn't randomly choose December 25. He deliberately chose it as uh, because it was the festival of the... Birthday of the Unconquered Son, Sol Invictus. Have we got some pictures? I think I grab some pictures here. There we go. There he is. Charming fella. That one's supposed to be coins. I don't know how that works. But anyway, Sol Invictus. The Unconquered Son represented the ancient Roman theological and practical ways, uh, political ways of life. The Unconquered Son was the patron god of the Roman soldier. Rome promised peace known as Pax Romana, those of you who were paying attention in high school. The way they achieved this Roman peace was through violent conquest and occupation. After Emperor Aurelian defeated his enemies and reunited the Roman Empire in 275 AD, he elevated this unconquered son, this Sol Invictus, this god of the Roman soldier, he elevated him to be the primary god, the boss god of all the gods of Rome. He built a temple in uh, in Rome, dedicated to worshipping this sun god, and reformed much of Rome's theological and political way of life, with this god at its core. So, December 25 was the birthday of this, this Sol Invictus, this unconquered sun, the celebration of the god who brought peace through violent conquest. So, when, in the year 350, Pope Julius declares 25th of December to be Christ's birthday, he deliberately undermines the whole of the Roman imperial theological system. The Roman birthday of the sun becomes the Christian birthday of the Son. Haha, see what he did there? Actually he didn't do it in English so it doesn't work, but anyway, <laughs> it works in English, right? It's extremely clever and very powerful, but it is, in fact, the reason why there are some people out there who refuse to celebrate Christmas because they believe it to be a pagan festival, not one in which the Pope declares Jesus to be the victor. Whereas the Roman imperial theology promises peace through conquest, occupation and violence, Jesus promises peace through love, which is where we are, of course, today in the fourth week of Advent, celebrating the love that caused the birth of the Son of God. Now, the problem with the word love is that it can mean so many different things. I could say that I love coffee, and those of you who know me might say that was an understatement. I love coffee. But, you know, I get a lot of pleasure from drinking coffee. I get satisfaction and contentment from a good cup of coffee. I sometimes get it on my clothes, as happened earlier today. But it's not the same as saying, I love my children, or I love my wife. Love, in English, our translation is, as possibly you've heard, rather broad. And particularly, um, when we translate from the Greek, you may have heard that in Greek, there are four to seven words in Greek that we have translated into the word English, love. Have have many of you heard that? C.S. Lewis famously wrote a book called The Four Loves, in which he describes four of the Greek words used to describe love. But I don't think it's even that simple either, it's a lot more complicated than that, because the definition of the word love changes throughout the thousand years that Scripture was written. So, what do we mean by love? Well, for this, we'll turn to John's own letter that we've read from already today and understand what He means by love, because He defines it for us in verse 10. I'm going to read from the message translation, so if that confuses anybody, I'm sorry. This is how God showed His love for us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is the kind of love that we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationships. With God. This is a kind of love that is giving, not taking. It is a self-sacrificing love for another. God saw the breakdown in our relationships, with God and with each other, that was caused by sin and shame. He saw that it was tearing humanity apart and because He loved us, because He considered us worthy, He came and He sacrificed Himself to clear that away to repair the relationship between people and God. He showed that God's way to peace, the Kingdom of God, isn't achieved through violent methods of the unconquered Son, the soul Invictus, but through the self-sacrificial love of the conquered Son. The simple fact that God came to earth, the simple fact that God died for us, proves that we are worth it. The simple fact that God died for everyone proves that everyone is worth it, no matter what. We had a really busy week this week, as you've heard, serving our community with food and toys and all that sort of stuff. And we love it. But see, we we hope that through our efforts, people would see God, because they see our example of self-sacrificing love for them. We want people to see that they are worth it, because we believe that they are. Look at how John writes it in verses 11 and 12, My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. Okay, fair enough, we got that. No one has seen God ever. But, if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and His love becomes complete in us perfect love. You see, it is only through our love for other people that people will see the love of God for them. Someone reminded me of a video this week and I loved it, so I thought I would show it again as an example of someone living in a self-sacrificing, loving way. Let's have a look. guys are hilarious. they got a few more ads like, are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. (laughs) So, we do what we do to show people that they are worth it and that's sometimes easy to do when someone needs something from us, isn't it? When they need food, toys or teeth. And most of the time, this week, people have been incredibly grateful. have shed tears together as we've blessed them. But there are some people who do come in with an attitude of entitlement, who are demanding and who take and who take and who take. I won't ask for a show of hands of volunteers who had people like that. There are people this week who've experienced hatred as they've sat in the kettles. There are even some people out there who think it's okay to wrap dirty nappies in Christmas paper and donate them to us in the hope that we will give them to someone. It's a sad reality. That means we have to unwrap everything. But see, the challenge with Christmas is this everyone means everyone god loves everyone god came for everyone we are, we sometimes gloss over this don't we god died for everyone but it includes everyone you like and everyone you don't like It includes everyone who likes you, and everyone who doesn't like you. It includes everyone you know, everyone you don't know. It includes everyone who's been nice to you, and it also includes everyone who's treated you with disrespect, and violence, and hatred. God died for everyone, because He loves everyone. That's a love that is really hard to come to terms with. It's irrational, it's foolish, illogical, frustrating, but that's the way it is. God is love. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love God. You've got to love both. And everyone means everyone. It was foolish of Jesus to come to earth, logically speaking. Makes no sense, really. To go from the divine throne to a fragile infant body. To trade streets of gold for filth, disease and violence. To love the world with wide open arms, vulnerable, and then be betrayed for a crowd of ungrateful murderers. Ransoming the lifeless blood of humanity with the priceless blood of a saviour. But it's that same foolishness that brought the world alive. That's the love of God. The unconditional, reckless, wasteful, open-armed embrace of God. Without this foolishness, there would be no incarnation. Without this foolishness, there would be no salvation. When we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, we celebrate the extravagant foolishness of the love of God. In finishing this morning, I wonder if you would stand with me. Would you stand? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in the first person, as though it's my prayer, because it is my prayer. And I want to invite and encourage you to pray the words I pray with me, as though they are your words. I don't mean pray them out loud, we'll, we'll all get very confused if we all do that, but just pray them in your head if that's okay. Does that sound okay? Think these words and pray them, if you dare. Let's pray. Teach me, God, to remember this Advent season what love really means. When I declare my intention to love like Jesus, don't let me settle for a love that's safe and bordered. Don't let me love only those who look or act or think like me, only those who are deserving, only those who are lovable. I dare to ask that you teach me how to really love like Jesus. Teach me to love foolishly. Teach me to open my arms wide to others even when it means exposing myself to discomfort or danger or death. Give me courage to love recklessly, to risk being hurt. Let me prefer being betrayed as you were, rather than refusing to embrace the person who might betray me. Teach me a love that is unrestricted, unbounded and unrelenting. God, please help me to be humble. Help me think less about myself and more about the world around me. Help me set aside my own wants, my own needs, trusting that you are in control of them all, and then fill up that empty space with love. Help me be more passionate about the interests of others than I am about my own interests, as Paul challenges me to be. Give me the humility to value others even more than I value myself. Lord, your love is foolish, let me be foolish too. Make my love like your love. Give me the love of the shepherds who left their fields and sheep to worship an infant king. Give me the love of the wise men who risked Herod's wrath to follow the stars and angels' orders. Give me your kind of love that set aside all glory and power for the sake of one like me. Make me reckless enough to follow in your footsteps this Advent season. Let your coming be my call to action. Let your incarnation be my battle cry. I pray this in the power of Jesus, whose foolish love has given me life. Amen and amen. We're going to sing our final song. Harken back to the power of the conquered Son, the kingdom in which he shall reign forevermore.